You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. coaches. Welcome to episode 84. I am Chrissy Beltran, your host, and this is Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Today, I'm talking to Lisa Westman about effective communication for instructional coaches. I think this is a really important topic because sometimes we are thinking about communication in a way that isn't all that helpful to actually building a bridge to our teachers. So we're going to talk a lot about empathy and why this is so important in, in communication for instructional coaches. And we're also going to talk about clarity. I know that I myself made a lot of mistakes, especially early on in my coaching career, because I wanted to be what I perceived as flexible to teachers. And so sometimes my responses were less than clear because I was trying to respond and be clear, be um, flexible and kind of keep their own individual needs in mind. But sometimes things are are required to be very, very clear. And it also is important to say whenever something is not in line with best practice, sometimes we have to just come right out and say that. So I think clarity is really important. We're going to talk to Lisa Westman about some of these ideas today and hopefully give you some tools in your toolbox for communicating with teachers. So I would love to welcome Lisa Westman to the podcast. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, thanks for having me, Christy. Thank you for joining me today. Um, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners first and talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up, where you are now, and what kind of work you're doing? Sure. Um, so I am Lisa Westman. I've uh, been in public education. This is my 20th year. Um, I started teaching sixth, seventh, and eighth grade gifted humanities and social studies. Um, I taught that for several years before I became a differentiation instructional coach. Um, when I became a, an instructional coach, I started blogging. Um, my blogs eventually got picked up by some um, well-read publications, which led me to writing my first book. I have a second book coming out. Um, but when I started writing, school districts started calling and saying, hey, can you come do some professional development for us, which um, turned into me consulting full-time. So I consult, this is my fourth year consulting, primarily on um, differentiation, standards-based grading, all related topics to that. And then I also, my passion, my favorite thing is um, I work with districts to build instructional coaching teams. So I work very closely with coaches and it's it's very gratifying part of my work. It is a lot of fun. Um, whenever I've worked with, with coaches on campuses, it's just, it's neat because you have a little distance from the work. So it helps you give perspective. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it's, it's a lot of fun to see coaches figuring stuff out, you know? It's, awesome. And it's just, you know, all of the conversations and just, mm -hmm. I have such respect for the power of coaching too. So it's, it's fun. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually really good lead in. Um, could you define instructional coaching for us? Because that way we all are kind of on the same page. Sure. So um, it's funny, like when I first was a coach, I couldn't define it at all. It was like, <laughs> oh, I mean, I kind of do this and that, but now succinctly um, instructional coaching is partnering with teachers or administrators for that matter to um, set goals and create plans to um, better um, meet our students' needs, whether it's social, emotional, or academic, but build um, our teachers' capacities in a way that's respectful to their expertise um, and their, you know, 
personal goals to ultimately benefit the students. Okay, great. Yes, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. We serve teachers because we're trying to serve kids down the road. That's the whole point of, mm-hmm. that's the end game. If it doesn't impact kids, then we're not right. Really doing right. Exactly. <laughs> so in looking at those services that you provide, I saw a lot of focus on empathy and instruction. I mean, obviously, can you tell me why those two areas are so important in the work that you do? Yes. So um, empathy is this like buzzword these days, you know, everyone just drops in and says it like, have empathy, have empathy. And (laughs) it was that easy, then we'd, we'd all be great. But really this came about because all of the work that I'm passionate about instructionally, whether it's differentiation or our grading and reporting practices or social emotional learning, they all come from a place of what is going to be the environment, what is going to best serve these children in a way that they feel good about learning. They have consistent adults in their life that are going to lives that are going to care for them, but also do this in a way that is respectful for teachers. Our teachers going to feel good about coming to work every day about continuing to be learners. And really we have all of these initiatives, right? Every school district has their, you know, handful, but if we start with empathy, if that is really the skill of empathy is our focus and we really understand it, all of those initiatives come naturally because they make sense for students and for adults. And it's how we implement them. Mm-hmm. If we can also do that with compassion and um, perspective taking, then we can have organizations that run um, more fluidly and with happier members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually actually are aware that people work there and, <laughs> and they're part right. of it. <laughs> right. And like we we have to respect and it's not even just respect. We have to understand where everyone is coming from because all of the players are necessary in order to get us to our goals. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, some of the foundational pieces of coaching apply, like assuming positive intent, asking questions to really clarify and ensure that we understand rather than thinking that we know or being quick to judge, just, you know, separating ourselves a little bit and really um, trying to, you know, be in the other person's shoes for a moment. Yeah. I'm hearing, you know, I was going to ask about how empathy supports communication and I'm hearing you say, that it's because communication isn't just making sure that you are understood. It is making sure that we understand each other. Absolutely. Right. And really it's, you know, there's, there's three different parts to empathy. So there's the um, emotional piece, the affective piece, which most of us understand. Like I can tell you're feeling sad. I can tell you're feeling happy and all of that. The second piece is the perspective taking this is where things get a little, I mean, we could have trouble with the emotions too, especially if we don't identify our own emotions correctly, which we don't all the time. But that second layer, the perspective taking, we really have to work as humans to see things from somebody else's point of view. What does it feel like for them right now, knowing who they are and what's in their lives? How are they seeing this situation? Not how we're seeing it, not what we would do, but understanding it from who these people are. Mm-hmm. We don't always know who people are and sometimes we're afraid to ask questions. So we assume we fill in the blanks. So that communication piece, it's asking those questions and trying really seeking to understand and not assuming that we know and not being afraid 
everyone's afraid of the elephant in the room. You know, we like don't ask questions about certain things. And, you know, we often think like, if I don't talk about things like race or religion or death or any of these topics, then it doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. but really it still exists for that person. And so are we empathizing with them or are we like implicitly shaming them because we don't want to talk about all these Mm -hmm. elephants in the room? Yeah, I feel like some of that is that we're afraid of, we won't know what to say after they say something. (laughs) Right. And we don't always know what to say. So then I'm just like, okay, so like, I, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what to say. Like Mm -hmm. Brene Brown always says the, thank you for telling me, you know? So sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like, we have the tendency to want to fix things. And so we think that there's something we can say that's going to fix it. Right. Probably not. I think what we all share in life is wanting to be, have that human connection, having others with us. So knowing that you won't be abandoned for who you are or how you feel, I think that does help fix things mm-hmm. rather than being you know, told this or do this or try that. Um, not trying to simplify what somebody is feeling, but just feeling it with them. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Just accepting their feelings and what they're saying. Yeah. So what are some first steps that coaches can take to really support establishing a strong relationship that that will grow this effective communication or be like a place where that can happen? Because I feel like they go go hand in hand. Like you can't have a strong relationship without good communication and can't have good communication without the relationship. So what, what, how do they get started? (laughs) Yeah. So I think Chrissy, you like actually hit the nail on the head, like a couple of questions ago, your, your responses, you said, communication's not about getting our point across. It's about listening to the other person. I think that's where the relationship piece is truly built, like genuinely wanting to learn about other people and not going in. And it can be hard sometimes, but I think this is one of the things that coaching really helps you to do. And I think it can be trickier sometimes for administrators, although coaching works for administrators too but going in without an agenda that you have to get across and push, knowing that we know our goals, ultimately we wanna get there. But right now, I wanna know who you are as a person, like what are gonna be the ways that we can work together? What makes you tick? Like, what can you offer to help like, you know, create this vision and, and this plan for the building? So I think the first thing is always being genuine. And if you find yourself not, feeling genuine, which sometimes we do, like, I don't really know what to say to this person. Just taking a moment for yourself and reflecting on like, why, what's making me feel uncomfortable or different about talking to this person. And I think going in then and just always trying to remember that even though things feel personal at times, nothing is really personal at work. I think as far as to a coach. Coaches sometimes are the recipients of, you know, displaced emotions and and a lot of, you know, pent up whatever from teachers. Um, And it can feel personal to coaches, but if the coach can remove themselves and just see somebody who just needs someone to listen to them or ask questions or not judge them, if we can resist our need to be right, I think that's how you form true relationships, not saying that you're conceding your thoughts. It's just, you don't always have to get your thoughts across right now. Mm -hmm. Just sometimes Jim Knight says, 
let the other person sit in the big chair. Like you take the little chair. I think that's how you form those relationships. That's an interesting idea. Um, that's very true. And I think it's a real challenge. I know that's a challenge for myself as well, because I don't like to be misunderstood. I have a real issue. No. Yeah. And no. I mean, I, it's hard to do for sure. It, it is. I, I feel like if I'm not explaining clearly what I think, then I'm misunderstood. And then I've left, I've, I've, it just like eats at me. So I really, that's something I've always had to really work at, um, is not just like you said, fixing and not just answering and not just responding immediately, um, in order to make sure that, that I am understanding and that the other person does feel heard and not just corrected. Yeah. I, I think it can be really tricky for coaches because you know, we want so badly for teachers to partner with us and, and engage in coaching cycles or, you know, collaboration of some sort. And, you know, we want to have all of those answers. We feel like we do have to have them. And then inevitably a teacher asks you something and you're like, I, I don't know how to do that. And so as a coach, you have that moment of like, I got to, I got to have an answer. They're not going to want to work with me. They're going to think I don't know. And I think in time, what you realize is, like, I completely hear what you're saying. Like, for instance, I was um, just working with a group of teachers that are currently in this um, dual platform hybrid situation with COVID and everything. And they are really struggling to do a variety of different things. And I'm like, how do we do this? And the thing they want to do, they can't actually do it that way. So it's not like I can go in and say like, oh, this is how you make it happen. It's more of like, why do you want that to happen? If we can't have it happen like that, why is it that you want that? What are the things that you're missing in your classroom? That's where that questioning piece comes in. When we try to give people exactly what they want, we often will fail because we can't, but we can understand what they need and why they need it. And that's where we can come up with those solutions. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I think the, the biggest thing with coaching is resisting the temptation to make statements and just forcing yourself to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Saying, you know, so what is it about this that is really important to you? So that way you can actually use that information to figure out a solution or a next right. step or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So not just focusing on the, you know, I can't sit at a table with all six of these students at the same time. How do I sit with those six students? you're not going to right now, but let's talk about why you did that. Like what worked about that strategy? What are you trying to accomplish? How else might be, we be able to have that same outcome, but maybe using a different structure. And, yeah. and there are a lot of ways and, and we've gotten very creative. Hmm. I think the moment for a teacher on their own to try and figure that out can be really difficult, which is where having that relationship with a coach being, you know, feeling vulnerable and um, willing to like I'm struggling. Can we work on this together? And this coaching isn't always about struggling. I think in this COVID environment, people struggle a little bit more than yeah. and are a little more comfortable saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been widely accepted that you're going to struggle. <laughs> and so it I mean, feel as some people have like a shame feeling about asking for help. Oh yeah. Or like a sense of failure. And so now yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, none of the things that I usually do are going to work in this environment. So how like, help me figure something out. So I do feel like that has been at least a certain, I have a friend of mine, a friend of mine and I, we always talk about thanks COVID. And that sounds terrible, but it's because we're trying to find some bright side in this horrible, awful for sure. For sure. Well, there have been things like that, like, mm -hmm. like team collaboration, I've seen a difference and yeah. for sure the, the, 
there's less of that shame with saying you need help, which I always find is such an, like an intriguing concept with how deep that shame is for a lot of people to say that they need help. And what do we do in our, and this is where like my whole empathy thing comes in. I asked the question, what do we do to perpetuate that? But I think we do a lot of things in education that inadvertently perpetuate that feeling of shame for needing or um, feeling that you're you're deficient in a certain area. Like we have a very, um, we have an obsession with deficits in, in education instead of a focus on strengths. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I think that's part of the reason that as coaches, it's so easy to take things personally, because that's part of the problem. Like, oh, if I were, yes. I were yes. a great coach, they wouldn't be responding to me this way. Yes. Right. Just, right. Yeah. And even no matter how long you do it, you're always going to have that. So it's like, mm-hmm. like, I think it's like recognizing that in the moment, like, wait, what's really going on with me right now? And like, the shocking thing is, is like, as soon as you let your guard down, other people let their guard down. Like it's, you know, everyone's so afraid and it like, it actually just, it's kind of sad to think about. And so I, I think the more we can help teachers recognize that feeling and then identify that feeling in students, we can make some of those changes to like what has happened. Like it's, there's a lot of psychology involved in, in, um, the work that we do in general, but specifically with coaching, there's, there's a lot of psychology. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, Brene Brown and I recently read um, Daring Greatly. And that's what she's talking about is, is being vulnerable in order to actually create the relationships that are going to be sustaining and purposeful and, and real, you know, and that yeah. it's hard and but you do have to put yourself out there first, usually. Yeah. And it's, and I think that even being vulnerable, it's not just about being like, I want to share everything. It's not about being an open book. It's about like, these are my greatest insecurities. I'm afraid you're going to find out. I don't really know this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then sometimes just saying, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know. And I'm going to find out and, you know, okay. So I was a middle school teacher. I have worked a ton over the past few years with K2 teachers on reading strategies and I was petrified, petrified in the beginning of working with these teachers because I'm like, I didn't teach first grade because I was always so worried if I messed that up, I'd mess them up for life. So I was like, I'm <laughs> at risk. I can't do it. And now I'm going to coach these teachers. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I'm a student of Jim Knight's um, coaching model and he has the partnership principles and he always talks about equality, equality, not thinking that the coach is the expert. It's that the coach has as much to learn from the coachy is the coach he does to learn from the coach. And so being vulnerable and being like kindergarten, first, second grade teachers explain these phonics skills to me, explain this. It really does open that. That's another way to build that relationship is this is not my area of expertise. And I'm like, I am not going to say that it is, but if you have this expertise, I can help you with the best ways instructionally mm-hmm. right. to you know, enact this in your classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're all going to coach things we're not comfortable with. I like same. I was upper elementary. Whenever I started coaching pre-K and kinder, I was like, these are awfully small children. <laughs> it's scary. 
in the kindergarten and PE teachers are always like, oh, I would never want to do middle school. I'm like, right. oh, way easier in my, but I like to see what they're saying, but it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, but I think we're as coaches, it's, it's hard to say that, or, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you have to earn your credibility with, you know, if you're an English teacher with the math teachers and vice versa, but instruction is instruction. And again, the content expertise can remain with the teacher. Coaches don't need to have, mm-hmm. unless they're coaching specifically, of course, like in one content area that right. might look a little bit different, but yeah. yeah. And then even then you're allowed to learn things. So it's okay. absolutely, <laughs> you have to, it's part of the coach's job yeah. is to continue to learn right. and the learning and not feel guilty about that. Like that's, there's a lot of guilt that comes into going from the classroom into coaching, yes. you know, what that looks like. Yeah. So how can we provide constructive feedback to teachers in a way that, that really will grow teacher practice and it doesn't push them away? What could that sound like? Yeah, no, that, that's, oh, you want to, did you? Sorry, did you say something no, I, else? What could that sound like? Or what oh, what could that sound like? like? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, feedback, there's a great um, article, which is based on a book called Tell Me So I Can Hear, which is basically there's four different levels or four different types of feedback um, that you can receive depending on, on what your personality type is. Mm-hmm. And so one, I think for coaches, read that book, read the article minimally, identify your coaches feedback style. So how they can take it in. And then there are strategies in there, but ultimately feedback is only valuable when there's a goal. So if you're giving somebody feedback on something that is not their goal, it's really unsolicited advice. So Mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to take it. So we want to give feedback on the things that our coaches want, our teacher partners. So we need to first figure out what is it that they want feedback on. And we do that through questioning and setting a goal, but then really limiting the feedback to those areas um, so that they can take it in. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I think, you know, no one likes being told what to do, especially if they didn't ask. I mean, that just doesn't feel good. And then we run the risk of alienating those people are making them feel, you know, smothered, which I'm sure I've done a million times given too much feedback, but you can kind of see the look on people's faces when they reach that point where they're like, I'm like, did too much. Right. So like little bits and pieces specific to the goals. Yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, I want to ask about the language that we use when we're coaching, because I actually read one of your blog posts about um, four phrases teachers say that no students understand. And I completely agree with that. Like as a coach working in classrooms, I have heard, well, you, you included in your article study that teachers say, finish your work. And kids are like, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers say behave, teachers say work in groups. And the kids are like, we're just doing what we do. We don't know what any of this, right. you never told me what this means. Yeah. You showed me. And I feel like we do that as, as coaches as well. There must be some work, some language we're using that is not translating into teacher vernacular. So, so are there phrases that we do that with? Yeah. It's so interesting. Chris, I love that you pulled out that article. I wrote that one so long ago and it's like, one <laughs> of my favorites. and it's like, it's a whole, like people who work with me a lot, like teacher clarity is like my thing, whether it's like mm-hmm. academics or in the, like, we have to start there. Everything starts yeah. with teacher clarity. Um, but I, I think to your point in coaching, 
Um, I remember last year I was working with a coach and he um, went in and, and worked with a, a teacher and we had gone over like what questions he was going to ask. And he asked, how are you formatively assessing the students? And then when he called me to debrief, he's like, she looked at me like I had 15 heads. Like she did not know what I was talking about. And then she tried to answer. And I was just like, yeah, we don't always need to use the academic language. Like, what if we just said, how do you know? How are you checking in? Yeah. How are you like, and how do you, oh, the students need more help with that. How, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Like we're getting a formative assessment, but we aren't running the risk of using big terms that either teachers don't know, or with things like that, have a different understanding. Yeah. Because we assume that everyone really understands what formative assessment is. I can tell you for sure that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. So just asking sometimes simpler questions mm-hmm. instead of using those, like even, even though differentiate is like my thing, I would never go in and be like, how are you differentiating for students ever? Mm-hmm. It would maybe be, first of all, differentiation isn't a goal, it's a result, but it might be like, oh, so now that we have it, that information, we can naturally see we can differentiate in these areas, but not using those big terms, which I think put people kind of like, when you're going to be observed and you have to fill out like the pre-observation form and there's like all these like huge questions, yeah. are you doing this? And then everyone gets so nervous, like none of that, like, let's make it like way simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, be very clear in what you're saying and clarity sometimes comes from simpler questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I learned that teachers did not know what it meant was modeling. Um, I learned. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what do you see? Do you see that? What do you, run into um, what misconceptions do you see? Um, they think that giving directions is modeling. They, so whenever I'd say, so how are we gonna model this? What are we gonna use? Well, I'm gonna tell them to do this, this, this. Well, that's okay. So that's what you're gonna tell them to do. So we need to show them what that looks like first. Right. So we're gonna do it ourselves and we're gonna think, and you have to do the, you know, the teachable moment is where you define what it is, right? And then right. you walk them through how to do it. But if you don't recognize that they have no idea what that means. Then whenever you go to observe a lesson, you're in there going, there's no model. They're just giving directions. Yeah. And I, I mean, it happens all the time where that's why we're constantly learning where I, I still assume, oh, everyone knows what that is or everyone. And then you're like, oh mm-hmm. no, like there, and there's things you can't even anticipate. And it could be, yeah. especially these days, it's more technology things, but like, when I say like I was working with a group of adults and I put a link in the chat and I said, just, you know, copy and paste that there were people that did not know, like, mm-hmm. how to, so there's all these, we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I think we do it to teachers, we do it to students. And then it can be difficult, like, to how to respond appropriately, right? Like in the moment, like if I'm in the middle of a PD in zoom, like for sure it causes me pause when people are like, wait, I don't know how to copy it. Wait, like it throws you off. And so like in the moment, I'm trying to be conscious of that, but it is difficult. And I think that's the same thing for our teachers, right? They've given directions, they assume this, then they start to feel panicky and defensive. Like really it's like, how do we help teachers take a moment and be like, all right, things got thrown off. You didn't anticipate that note to self. It's going to be okay. But like, how do you recover? Mm-hmm. and not get upset with the students and not like yeah. a jerk reaction. Like I told you that five times or does anyone else know, like all those shaming things, which 
really erode that empathy piece and, and don't lead to good things, but we don't even realize that we're doing it because we aren't like in the moment with ourselves. And that's where I think coaching can come in. Like I saw you got frustrated um, when the students like, tell me what was going on. Like, tell me, tell me about that. What happened yesterday? Like just helping teachers reflect and feel safe and not judged when they're doing it. Yes, that's very true. Cause it's, it's a bunch of humans in a room. So you're going to, stuff's going to happen and yeah. we have to respond to it yeah. in the best way that we can in the moment, but we don't always have the tools to do that. Right. And, and also it's just like, you know, again, with the not taking things personally, like if kids don't turn in their work, I fully get it. It's frustrating. And, you know, there's a lot of extra work, but to not take it personally and just ask when kids don't turn things in, what information am I missing? What do I need that I don't have now? Instead of like putting out the blame, which isn't going to give you that information anyway. Like, what do I really need? What I have to have a conversation with these students. What am I really trying to get across? Mm -hmm. Instead of like, you need to turn this in. You have this many missing assignments. Your grade is this. Like, instead of piling it all on, you know, I don't know if how you're doing with adding and subtracting. Can we sit down? Can you show me? You know, I gave you some things at home. You didn't do them, but how do we like coaching and then helping teachers feel supported with all the other things? to that come along with some of the changes in practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. Is there anything else that gets in the way of clarity? We talked about like vocabulary, but is there anything else that gets in the way when we're communicating with teachers? Yeah, you have really good questions, Chrissy. I like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I think what always gets in the way is our own selves, right? Like we are constantly like scanning and trying to read the room and see how people feel. And, um, you know, I think the more comfortable you are with someone, the less of that gets, that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. But I think people, something that gets in the way of listening is thinking about how people are perceiving you in the moment. And so I think, again, making like setting the stage and making it super comfortable, like making eye contact, the way that we position, how we sit with people, even if it's on Zoom, like just making sure that people can listen. They are comfortable enough to really engage with you. Yeah, that's a good point. I know that there are, there are times whenever I have been hesitant because I can feel the and the emotions coming off of a teacher who's very upset. And our, like you said, our first instinct is to think, what did I do? How did I tick her off? <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, right. It may right. not be about us at all. It might have nothing to do with anything in that, even in that room at all. Um, they could have arrived that way. But yeah, it's, it's, it, certain people exude the energy and it's very hard to be um, clear and upfront and honest whenever you're feeling like, <laughs> you're, and the energy is attacking you. <laughs> That's almost what it feels like. Yeah. And, you know, I think the hardest thing with coaching is there are, depending on what model you use and all coaching models have different terms for this, but there are people that Jim Knight would say in the pre-contemplation stage, Elena Aguilar is a different word, but it's, it's basically like, I don't even know there's a problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people that are in that stage, it's very difficult to have those conversations. Like if they don't seek you out, like a lot of times teams have to meet with coaches or coaches have to go in and present something, but there are people in the room that are not receptive because they 
are just in that stage. They're not ready for it yet. It's hard, I think, for coaches sometimes to engage in those conversations because you want to try and change the mindset and ask the right questions, but at a certain point, recognizing this person isn't ready for this yet. And I just, I need to meet them where they're at and just let them do their thing, even though sometimes what you see happening or sometimes the externalizing that you hear is extremely difficult Mm -hmm. to be around. It's like, we have to just let people run their course. You know, we can't, we cannot force people to change. Forced change is not going to stick. It may make like a, a little blip on the radar, but chances are six months from now, there's no, not going to be a sustainable change. Right. Um, how do you use nonverbal communication when you're communicating with teachers? What does that look like? Yeah. So I think it's super important. And um, I mean, obviously we, we all have moments that we're better than others, but I think especially what I've learned in this zoom environment is we can all tell when people are multitasking when somebody goes and checks their phone or they're sometimes they're just pulling up a file, but you can tell when people are in tune to you and when they're not. And we always want to make the people feel like we want to be there. So we are like not looking at our phone. We are not like glancing, you know, over your shoulder the whole time. Um, It's not making a face at somebody else in the room, which could be about something totally else, but we always assume people are talking about us or they're referencing something with us. So we want to just be extra cognizant that we don't inadvertently do those things. And then also be extra cognizant to look the person in the eye, not too long so that they feel uncomfortable, but enough that they know that you're present and um, definitely, you know, using it putting your whole body into the conversation, not having it just be like, a, you know, I'm asking these questions, I'm checking off a list, like mm-hmm. genuinely having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, smiling, I think smiling <laughs> goes a long way. Like a smile is, I mean, it's proven to make people, when someone smiles at you, there is an impact on you. It's helpful for everyone to smile. So smile, everyone's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Nice. as much as possible. I agree. What are some helpful things that you can give us to say when we're feeling frustrated or defensive? So it's kind of like you're in the moment and someone's saying something and you can feel you're getting really defensive or really frustrated. And you just want to have something that you can pull out of your toolbox to say that, that you're just like, okay, this is, this is my go-to because I'm not sure what else to do. Yeah. So it's hard, right? Because Sometimes, and it just depends. Some days you have like a string of days where it's, it's tricky. I think when I am in that moment, I always go to, that sounds really, that sounds really hard. I I like, I, I hear what you're saying and, and I'm sorry that like, this is so hard for you right now. Mm -hmm. What I don't say, I think is more important. What I resisting is if you want to work on this together, we can, or if you want this, like if I've, if I've already reached the point where I'm frustrated, it's typically because I've recognized that the person's in that pre-contemplation stage, mm-hmm. they don't want to change. And I'm pushing in my best ways and my most respectful ways of questioning or getting people, helping people to reflect on their current reality. 
and it's not working, it's almost like I need to just stop and just, I hear you and that's it. And so I really think just validating without like probing any further. And um, it's hard. I think it's tricky because it sometimes when you get to that point, you probably already feel like you went too far. Like you already push too much or you already um, are feeling too defensive. Um, I also try to remember if I'm feeling defensive, which is different than feeling frustrated. If I'm feeling defensive, it's usually because there's something personal about what's happening. So typically for me, at least I would feel, I feel more defensive when I meet with teachers who teach like middle school ELA, because I taught middle school ELA. So I have like some of that personal, so I have to remind, like I have to check myself, like, why are you getting defensive right now? This is not about you. Mm -hmm. um, I more just feel frustrated and I feel frustrated because I, I feel like I'm not being successful. But then again, I have to remember who the person is. They aren't ready for this. Mm -hmm. So this isn't about me being successful. This is about what this person needs and this person right now at least doesn't know that they need this or is not ready to make these connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just really frustrating. And like, you'll think about it all night, but at least you won't make push it hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. And maybe what you accomplished that day is just, it's just a brick in building the, the break, like the, or, a, you know, to the relationship yep. that you're trying yep. to build. That's, uh, that's absolutely. It. And then that person's going to be like, okay, they're not, they probably won't leave the conversation if you end it soon enough feeling as pushed. So right. maybe they'll come back. Like maybe something stuck. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just really hard. You know, something I, I like to do with the coaches I work with is coaches can observe each other, but, you know, take data on teacher's language. Like, are they using like personal pronouns? Like, are they putting themselves in like my students, um, blah, blah, blah. Or are they saying the students? Are they externalizing? Like she said this, he does this, they do this. Like, where is there that ownership piece? And if there's no statements where the teacher is taking ownership, they're probably not ready. They aren't even really putting themselves in the situation yet. Like they aren't ready to be that vulnerable. So they need, they just need a little more time um, and maybe attention to put themselves in the situation. That's really interesting to think about. I kind of want to go back now and think about that <laughs> in conversations that I've had because I can I can picture certain teachers using that language, which always seems so odd to me um, as a teacher. You know, yeah. that there are a lot of like the parents this, admin this, yeah. students, yeah. but it could be the same exact thing. But you might hear a teacher who's in it saying, "I can't seem to." blah, blah, blah. Like my students are not able to do this when I do this. Like they're mm -hmm. still saying they aren't making excuses. They're recognizing like there's a problem. My students don't turn in homework, but they're saying I haven't been able to find the right way to assign homework. Like they're still mm -hmm. putting themselves in the situation. You want to have, you want to have some personal pronouns. Yes. Because there's an acceptance of your role in the situation that you right. are playing a part right. here. Right. Not just all these things happening to it's you. Not all the external, like the parents don't care. Admin right. accepts too much. Right. This one doesn't do this. 
it's like, I know all those things exist, but I can only control me. Yes, exactly. I can't control those things. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to look at them as excuses. I'm going to look at them as obstacles that I have to overcome or try Mm -hmm. to overcome. Right. It's just the nature of of the work that we're doing. That's why. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it's amazing. I think especially like seeing all these virtual classrooms, like you'll have some people who say like, I can't do that in a virtual environment. And then you'll have other people say, how do I do that? Yeah. In a virtual environment, like Mm -hmm. just that like the, how do I like coachable the I can't like not, not going to write the person off, but that's where you're going to want to start listening for the responses, not just what the people are saying, but how they're phrasing. Mm-hmm. Is there, can you tell us, is there any way to like support people in moving from that? If you're hearing that and yes. they're resistant and they're just like stuck, what do you do? Yes. So I think that again, you have to assess the situation, but I, I try to, identify like where the resistance is coming from. And what I found is for a lot of people, they're either scared, they don't know how to do something and they're afraid to say that, or they have been trying for years and years to have their voice heard. And it either hasn't been heard or they haven't, their expertise has not been um, acknowledged Mm -hmm. the way that, that it should have been for things like I don't know what the term formative assessment means, but I could tell you where any of my students are at any given point. I just don't understand the terminology, but then they're dinged for it for some reason because of that clarity piece. So reestablishing teacher's expertise in a genuine way. So going in and finding like, what does this person do really well? And then celebrating that or like even bringing that out in a team meeting later. Like, you know, I was in Susie's classroom and she did this like amazing thing where the kids blah, 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 which was a great use of formative assessment. So like you're putting the terms in there, but you're celebrating that expertise. It has to be genuine. You never want to contrive anything, but mm-hmm. the vast majority of, of people that are really tough have been there. A lot of them are burnt out because the things that they do really well, they may have things that they need to improve on. We all do, but the things that they have done really well aren't acknowledged again, because we are in love with these deficits. Like we are always looking for our students, for our teachers, like where are the areas that you're deficient instead of like, but you're distinguished here or you're, you know, excelling here. Like let's celebrate those things a little bit more than we focus on the deficits. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's a, that's a nice thought to almost end our podcast on. Um, so if coaches only walk away with one idea from this episode, what would it be? If they only walk away with one idea, what I would think the most important thing is a coach to remember is we are not trying to change people. We are trying to ensure that people feel supported and safe, just like we want our teachers to feel our, we want our teacher students to feel mm-hmm. safe and secure and have that consistency. That's what we offer teachers. So we are that person who will come back and partner with them the next day. If they had a bad day, we aren't holding things against them. Mm-hmm. We are not pushing our agendas. We are there to support the organization with the ultimate goal of, of growing kids. So that's what we're doing. 
I love it. How can people find you online to learn more? Um, you can connect with me on Twitter, which is Lisa underscore at Lisa underscore Westman, or you can go to my website, lisawestman.com and you can email me from there. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was fun talking with you, Chrissy. Thanks. That was a good one, right? <laughs> there was a lot of good stuff to think about in there. Um, I loved the focus on empathy and the understanding of how we're not going to just change anybody, but we can certainly support people in their growth and make sure that they are heard and understood. That those are elements that we can bring into our coaching all of the time. We talked a little bit about the at the end about understanding the resistance that teachers are demonstrating if that's what's actually happening, understanding where it's coming from. So I wanna share a free, um, email, uh, kind of like a, a challenge and if, sorry, five day challenge, my, my brain kind of froze up there for a second. It happens a five day email challenge for you about coaching resistant teachers. That is something you can get for free. You can sign up for that at buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 84. That's the word episode, the number 84. And you just scroll down and you will see the place to enter your email address so you can actually sign up for this Coaching Resistant Teachers Challenge. We talk about the kinds of resistance, understanding where it's coming from, and every day you get a little video that teaches you how to kind of rebuild a relationship with a teacher that you've really been struggling with. And we implement actually many of the ideas that Lisa talked about today in terms of building a bridge, and making sure we're you know, clear, we're redefining our role and making sure people know why we're there. So I think it would be a really great tool for you to check it out. So go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 84 and, down, and actually sign up for the Coaching Resistant Teachers five-day challenge because that will be delivered straight to your inbox with a little video each day that'll tell you exactly what to do to grow those relationships. Next week in episode 85, I'm talking to Jillian Starr about neurodiversity in education. This episode I am really excited for because this is a topic that I don't know as much about because we're not talking about neurodiversity in children, although that is a, a piece of what we're gonna think about. We're talking about neurodiversity in the adults that we work with. So I know from personal experience, I have worked with teachers who have expressed to me that they have ADHD or other, other kinds of issues that, that impacts the way that they learn and interact and think. And so I was talking to Jillian and asking her, because she shared about this on her, her Instagram account as well, if she could kind of shine a light on this for us and help us think about as instructional coaches, how we can support teachers who are in the same boat. And so I'm really like looking forward to welcoming Jillian to the podcast next week. I hope you tune into that episode. I think it's gonna be really meaningful and eye-opening to those of us who have not had this experience. So that's going to be episode 85, Neurodiversity in Education with Jillian Starr. Until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Thank you.